everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. It's a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we and what that means for all of us. I am your host, JDK Winnikin. You can find out more about me at my website, which is wordsbyjdk.com, and on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm all over the place. Just look up uh, my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and uh, you should find me without a problem. Uh, welcome to episode 30 of this show uh, for August 2nd, 2021. And uh, today's show title is We've All Earned Our Wings. And the reason why I've titled that is because it, it is the start of a new month. And normally I always have a new theme at the beginning of the month. Um, I'm sort of putting that on hold, sort of not, because really the big announcement for today is uh, I have a new sponsor for this show. And I need to start out by talking a little bit about them. Uh, and before I mention them, I should I should give you the haiku for today's show. Uh, the wings in the title is a little bit of a hint, okay, a little bit of a hint. But the haiku uh, is also uh, part of that. Today's haiku goes like this. Stories once untold simply need voices to give them the life they've earned. Stories once untold simply need voices to give them the life they've earned. Now, what does that have to do with wings? <laughs> you might be wondering, well, that's why I need to introduce uh, the new sponsor of this show. And the new sponsor is an organization, a nonprofit called Airway Science for Kids, uh, acronym ASK, uh, but uh, Airway Science for Kids, which is a, a Portland-based nonprofit that's uh, currently expanding its uh, programming up into the Puget Sound here up in Seattle. And what Airway Science for Kids does is it, uh, it's an organization that facilitates life and career pathways for historically underserved youth in aviation and aerospace. What that means is, is for a lot of kids who don't often have the same access uh, to resources that can lead them into aviation and aerospace careers, which are expensive fields to get into historically, what it does is it helps facilitate all the relationships, uh, all the materials, all the resources that underserved kids, however that's defined, uh, need in order to get a shot at those types of careers. And Airway Science for Kids does amazing stuff. They have their own educational programs uh, around aviation and aerospace to teach uh, students from as young as elementary school all the way up uh, into the college age. Uh, they, they have programs to teach them about uh, the basics of aviation, but then they also help provide things like one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Uh, they can facilitate things like internships and classes with partner organizations in business and education, in government and in other nonprofits. And more or less, it's a process through which they help kids find what interests them in aviation and aerospace and go after it. If it's a career, there are literally hundreds to choose from in aviation and aerospace, much more so than you think. Uh, but as importantly, if not more, it's a process that helps kids understand that they can take control of their own futures, that they can find their own voice in their own lives and they have support to help make those things happen. Their mission, even though it's around aviation and aerospace, is more about helping kids discover what they are able to do, how they can make their own dreams come true, and how they can sort of blaze their own pathways through life. Uh, ASK also provides uh, a lot of support for uh, students' families in that process because, as I mentioned, this is a pretty expensive endeavor, uh, but also helps them navigate all the things that might be necessary for a kid to start a career in aviation. Everything from 
finding funding for getting their pilot's license, uh, to applying for college, perhaps. Uh, so they do all those types of things through partnerships with tons of organizations. And I love this organization for lots of reasons. First of all, I can't think of anything that is more inspiring than aviation and aerospace. If you think about it, the history of aviation and aerospace is about possibility, about overcoming perceived limitations from the Wright brothers on a beach in North Carolina to Neil Armstrong landing on the moon to Jeff Bezos whooping it up in, at 350,000 feet uh, in a rocket that he did just, uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, but it's literally the possibility of going places and doing things that most people have not done before. And that inspires people. I had mentioned Jeff Bezos just a minute ago. He did his launch on July 20th, of course, which was the anniversary of the Apollo 11 landings. And he took uh, Wally Funk with him. And Wally Funk, woman who was part of the so-called Mercury 13, uh, that was sort of the beginning stages of what would have been training for women to be astronauts. They did all the medical uh, testing, but they didn't do any of the other actual training. And they ended up having to do all of it in secret, as it turned out. But she became a name known after that, uh, many years later, as one of the women who never got a chance to go up into space. Jeff Bezos took her up uh, in, on the first uh, the first mission of his ship. And what was hilarious about watching that on TV was they were they were when they were trying to get a hold of them uh, up in the capsule to make sure they're okay. All they could hear was them just yelling and having a good old time. And the picture of Wally Funk when uh, they returned to Earth when she got out of uh, got out of the capsule with her arms spread wide and the biggest smile imaginable might be the photo of the year uh, because that was a lifelong dream achieved and uh, obviously far too long in coming, uh, you know, historically speaking or fairly speaking, but nevertheless it happened. And that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that inspires people. And uh, aviation has always inspired uh, me as well. It was actually one of the first words I knew how to say. Uh, I knew mama, I knew dada, and I knew airplane. And uh, I was a little kid. And um, yeah, so to me, all those things fit together, make Airway Science for Kids a perfect sponsor for this show. And what they're really interested in is helping kids tell their stories and having other people learn about them. And so these kinds of stories are things that I like to tell. I'm a historian, I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller. So it's, it's kind of a perfect match in a lot of ways. So uh, a thank you uh, to Airway Science for Kids for uh, taking on this show and for believing in it. And uh, what does that mean for what I'm going to be doing? Well, it's got me a little more focused, I guess we could say, in terms of uh, some things we're going to look at. Uh, those who've been listening to this show for a long time know that uh, I am a historian by training. I have a PhD in it. And uh, I'm also a writer looking to uh, sell a historical fiction novel that, that I've written. So this is kind of what I do. And over the past few weeks uh, on the road trip that you guys heard about the last couple of weeks, I really reconnected in a lot of ways with the importance of what I've learned, how I've learned it, and how I like to talk about it. And so telling stories that could be ones that you've never heard before. They could be stories about events that you know, but maybe from some different perspectives, maybe with some different details you haven't. That's something that I can do and people seem to find really interesting. A lot of the feedback, the best feedback I get on episodes of the show is when I've told some sort of historical story. So I think I need to stop fighting against that idea, even though I haven't been against the idea of putting on my history hat when I'm in here. It hasn't been something that I've actively pursued every single week. Well, I think that's 
more or less what I'm going to be doing going forward because people seem to really like that. And uh, the power of individual stories, individual histories, even in the midst of big, big histories, uh, can be particularly powerful and really is a story about how each of us can connect as we, and then we get to talk about what that means for all of us. So see, it all kind of comes together, right? So, okay. So let me, uh, in that spirit, let me kick us off uh, with a story that some of you who have heard before, but I'm going to be telling it in a little bit of a different way. And this is going to be exactly kind of what I'm going to be talking about, this type of thing going forward. And this is a story about a woman named Galena. And Galena, uh, this is back in 1980. Okay, so we're going to rewind. We're going to go back in the way back machine here. And uh, Galena in 1980 was uh, in her 60s. And she's from Russia and had survived uh, World War II as a teenage girl. And in Russia, Soviet Union at the time, that was no small feat. 27 million people died in the Soviet Union in World War II. By comparison, 425,000 Americans died in World War II. So 27 million, massive amount of people. And she'd survived that, uh, had, uh, had actually rebuilt her life after the war, had had a son, was, got married and had a son named Sasha. And, uh, but in 1980, she was not in the Soviet Union. She was in Hawaii. And she was in Hawaii as a blind woman. She had been, she'd gone blind uh, in the 1960s due to deprivations that she had suffered during the war, combined with complications from illness that she had struggled with in the Soviet Union, which was medically undersupplied uh, compared to the rest of the world. Uh, Galena was fiercely religious. And in the Soviet Union, that was a problem. Because in the Soviet Union, particularly under Stalin, uh, as, as it had been during the Second World War, uh, religion was against state policy. And so it was an officially atheistic state, but she had kept her faith strong and in secret. And after Stalin's death in 1953, when things opened up for a short period of time under Nikita Khrushchev, she began to be more active in that. And her son had followed her into the, into the faith, the Orthodox uh, faith. And in 1972, amidst a massive purge by the Soviet government of dissidents, who were talking about all the problems in the Soviet Union, Alexander Solzhenitsyn being the most famous name. The Soviet Union exiled a bunch of dissidents from the Soviet Union, including Solzhenitsyn, who moved to the United States and became even more of a thorn in the side of the Soviet Union than he was while he was there. But in addition, there were many others whose names were never known to history. And Galina was one of them. And so she was kicked out of the Soviet Union for distributing religious material inside the Soviet Union including Bibles and such. So she and her son were kicked out. They eventually made their way to the United States via Europe and a few other places, staying with Russian exiles here in friendly churches there, sometimes literally sleeping in churches because that was the only option they had. And they still continued what they were doing. They were trying to get congregations, individual churches and larger church bodies to uh, support them in getting religious material into the Soviet Union. So much like the larger Soviet effort to silence exiles by kicking them out of the country, this did not work. Okay? But in 1980, having bounced around this way for a number of years, eight years by that point, uh, Galena and Sasha were on the Big Island in Hawaii. And they went to a church, just a small Lutheran church uh, in that town. 
and uh, literally unannounced and walked up to the pastor of the church shortly before the services started and said, would you let us give a presentation to the congregation? This pastor was, as Galena realized, even though she was blind, uh, she could tell uh, that the pastor had to think about it for a minute, but then did. This was made difficult because Galena didn't speak any English. Her son, Sasha, did. So Sasha was translating. But because she'd been blind for so long, all her other senses had to be at play. And so she had learned how to sense people's moods and sense anxieties and that type of thing without being able to see it. But she had to trust her son to kind of tell her what was going on and guide her places and translate for her and all those things. So anyway, with all that in mind, this woman who had endured so much and had been out of her own home country for years uh, gave their presentation to the church at the very beginning and, and to her surprise and delight. The pastor invited her and Sasha over to his home to have lunch after the services with uh, him and his family, his wife and his two kids. And so they went over to the house, which was right next to the church. And uh, while the pastor sat with Galena and Sasha and had a conversation, Sasha translating back and forth between them, the pastor's wife began to prepare uh, some lunch. And Galena could tell the kids were around um, and the, the daughter of the family was almost 10 years old and the son had just turned seven recently. And the son was nearby more so than, than the daughter. Uh, but she could hear, she could hear them getting ready for, for lunch and that type of thing. And even though she didn't understand English, she could hear and tell that, uh, the boy wasn't too happy about what they were going to be having for lunch. And she could sense his discomfort, uh, with her. And she was already used to that, right? What she and her son were doing, uh, was unique and they were Russians in the United States and Russians weren't exactly viewed, uh, with a whole lot of trust (laughs) in the United States at that time. So she'd been used to that. So this was nothing out of the ordinary, but she could tell that the, the young boy was a bit nervous about her. Probably didn't know what to make of her being blind, which probably looked a little weird. She knew she was, she looked very old and unkempt and, you know, it looked older than her, her years because of what had happened. And so all of this was going on and she could hear the pastor's wife cooking in the kitchen. And all of a sudden she smelled something remarkable it was coming from the kitchen and it was a smell that she knew very well but that she had not smelled in years and without expecting this at all and without an ability to control it tears began to well in her eyes and they began to pour out she could not believe what she was smelling and she began to cry and her son sitting next to her, clearly noticed and began to ask her what was happening, but she couldn't find the words. She could only hold his hand. And she stood up almost unbiddenly, the smell, and stood up and said to her son in Russian, I smell miracle meat. Her son didn't know what that meant. Neither did the pastor, apparently, when Sasha translated. And her energy got up so high, she was so excited memories flooding back to her of her uh, childhood years and her teenage years during the war that she had to know where this was coming from. She had to taste it again, what she called miracle meat. And she finally was able to ask for a piece of what was being cooked. And the young boy, she could tell, the young boy was 
given a tray of it by his mother from the kitchen and brought it over. And she can almost sense his tentative steps coming over. And he held out the plate and she reached her hand out and she found a piece and she ate it. It tasted just the way she had remembered. And the first time she had tasted that, it was the most exquisite thing she'd ever tasted in her life. It was spam. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's spam, right? It's what you think I'm talking about, right? The stuff that most people turn their nose at, right? That's super high in fat, super high in salt, super high in all those things. Some people call it heart attack in a can, whatever. But to Galena, this was the greatest thing ever. And she told the family the story as to why. Galena, as I mentioned, had survived the Second World War. But she had not just survived the Second World War. She'd survived the siege of Leningrad, which was the worst siege in human history. It killed a million people over 882 days between the summer of 1941 and early 1944. The Nazis had invaded in June of 1941 into the Soviet Union and the army group north that went north encircled the city. And for a lot of different reasons, the Nazis decided that rather than destroy the city, they would just starve it out. It was a lot easier. Uh, They could dedicate a lot more troops elsewhere to fight outside of Moscow and later Stalingrad. So Leningrad, they decided to just let starve to death. And so they set about doing that. It was a purposeful policy. And Galena was in the midst of it. A city of 2.5 million people lost about half its population to death. Uh, At its worst moment, all the trees in Leningrad had been stripped of their bark in order for people to eat it. All animals disappeared, whether they were pets, rats, birds, squirrels, you name it. All of them trapped, all of them eaten. In some cases, the worst options uh, some people fell prey to cannibalism in particular. There were stories of that. It was a horrendous experience for everyone involved. And while there were attempts to bring in some supplies and some did come in in various ways, there was never really enough to go around. And by the high point of the siege, rations were down to 125 grams of bread a day per person. So Galena lived through that. She lost family members to that. And as she smelled this miracle meat, she remembered not so much the deprivation of the siege, but when it ended. When the siege was lifted after 882 days, when the Germans were finally driven back by the Red Army away from the city, supplies poured in to help the city recover. Medicine, clothes, shoes, You know, anything you could think of, but particularly food and medicine. And what Leningraders soon came to recognize as the best possible food source they could get was what they called miracle meat. Spam. Hundreds of thousands of cans of spam came in as part of this relief aid, all from the United States as part of the Lend-Lease program. All of this came flooding into the city And Galena and others recognized that this was the greatest thing ever. All the things that we go, ooh, too much salt, too much fat, too much whatever. For people who've been starving for three years, this literally could save their lives. In addition, it was in a metal can that you could heat up over a candle. So not only could you eat the food that was in there, you could actually have a hot meal 
you could save the can and use it for boiling water, for boiling bandages. A lot of people turned the cans into their own kinds of mugs for, for, for hot drinks to keep them warm. There were so many things that you could do with this that it was called, came to be called Miracle Meat. And Galena had eaten a ton of it in the days after the war. And as she told this flabbergasted pastor's family, uh, it had saved her life. And she had not eaten it since Lend-Lease had ended to the Soviet Union in later 1945 at the end of the war. But she remembered it so vividly that it brought all those memories to mind. She ended up eating pretty much the whole can of Spam <laughs> a day at lunch. And the pastor's family was kind enough to let her do so. <laughs> and so this was this big moment for her that brought back some of the most important memories of her life, certainly some terrible ones, but it had helped her survive. And what a random story this is to kind of bring us back to the present. It feels like a random story at the beginning, right? A woman from Russia exiled in Hawaii has a meltdown over spam. If you made that story up, not a whole lot of people would believe it, but I can vouch for its authenticity. You want to know why? Because I was that seven-year-old boy sitting in that room seeing this Russian woman cry over spam cooking. <laughs> we had spam a lot when I was a kid uh, living in Hawaii, and I complained about it a lot until that day. I stopped complaining about it after that. I didn't know what Leningrad was, never heard of it before. I didn't, certainly wasn't really aware too much yet about World War II. I didn't know much about history. Of course, I was seven. <laughs> but that was a formative moment for me to even be sitting at this microphone telling this story because that was one of my first introductions to the larger world, first of all. So it raised questions about World War II, that type of thing. And what am I a specialist in as a historian? World War II and the post-war period. There's a reason for that. It started with Galena. It also gave me my first introduction as a young kid to looking at something very familiar to me that I didn't like from a different perspective. And not only did I get a deeper appreciation, it changed my feeling about that thing. Now it was a can of spam, which seems small and it is. But when we talk about hearing stories from other perspectives, maybe things that we think we know and hearing something that we never would have expected, it can change us as it should. How amazing that through a can of spam, a seven-year-old boy in Hawaii gets connected to a woman who survived the worst siege in human history, in the worst war in human history, over generations and years apart. That's the kind of stuff that cannot be made up. Those are the kinds of stories that you cannot anticipate the impact they are going to have both at the time on the person as they experience them and years later. It's been a guidepost in my life as both a storyteller and as a historian, but even more so as a human being. I remember the spam story a lot, particularly when I'm getting pretty judgy about something or someone. <laughs> and I remind myself that there are many different stories that I have not yet heard, many perspectives that I can consider and that, that I should 
particularly the ones that can connect me in real ways to another human being. That is what I mean when I lead off this show by saying this is a show about how you and me become we and what this means for all of us. It's the same type of, of credo that I think Airway Science for Kids is putting forward in its mission both in Portland and then eventually up here in the Puget Sound and elsewhere with kids. It opens up this approach. It opens up the possibility of looking at things that might seem familiar from differing points of view and finding out what that means for us, how that changes us, how that helps us identify what's real and what's not, what matters and what doesn't. So that's what we're going to be doing. These kinds of stories are all over the place. I've got plenty, and I already know a bunch that I'm going to tell you starting next week. But I definitely want to hear more of them. That's the wonderful thing about this. These types of stories from history can be small. They can be big. They can be events no one's ever heard about but should. They can be an individual story of somebody who from the outside looking in doesn't seem like anything special, but chances are really is. If you have those stories that you would like me to know about, that you would like me to look into, that you would like me to maybe tell on the air and connect it to some things, please let me know. You can find me on my Facebook page, my Instagram account, on Twitter. Just look up jdkwinnikin.com. I'd be even happy to write about them at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. And certainly, uh, if you have a story that you'd like to tell on the air, we can talk about that too. This is sort of what this show, I think, is really about and really what can be about going forward. So I'm not sure about the monthly themes anymore. I'm not sure I'll hold on to that. Might be time to, to graduate from that to something else. We'll see. What I am going to do is hopefully tell you entertaining stories that you can connect with, that can help you connect with others and help you think about what's possible for you and for other people each week when you tune in for the show. So I hope you'll continue to do that because that's all I've got for today on this episode of This Show is All About You. I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Thanks to you for your support and for joining me. Thanks to Airway Science for Kids uh, for their support both today and going forward. And we will see you next week for another fantastic story we will talk about. And in the meantime, chins up, everyone. <laughs>